Well, good evening. It's good to see everybody. Glad that you're here. We were gone last Wednesday night with uh, our minister's retreat. Brother Jack taught and did a good job. And so we're picking back up tonight with Zechariah where we left off. We're to chapter 8, uh, verse 18 tonight. So turn there with us. Got a new day for God's people. This has been a good study in Zechariah. And we're ending a section tonight that will be, uh, uh, well, it's, uh, there are two sections to Zechariah. We're ending the first section tonight, and I'll explain a little bit more about that in just a moment. So let's pray together, and we'll get started. God, thank you for your love for us, for the, your love for the people of Israel that's demonstrated throughout the prophets so strongly. And Lord, thank you that you love us through Jesus Christ in the same way. And, and I thank you for Christ, all that he's done for us. God, for making us your people by faith, and I just pray that we would please you, uh, God, just as the Israelites, at times they did, times they didn't, but I pray that we will please you, Father, all the time. Lord, would you speak to us tonight, may the Holy Spirit be our teacher as we look at Zechariah, show us what we need to know, thank you for those who have joined us online, those who are here, and pray your blessings upon them, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, I have a quiz for you. I know we didn't meet last week, and it's been a while since we met, so I made it really easy for you tonight. So 10 easy questions that are all, uh, well, I've asked all these questions before, but they're a summary of the first eight chapters, so maybe that will help as well. So don't answer out loud, write them down, or put, just uh, remember what in your mind, your answer, if you will, and we'll see how many you get out of 10 tonight. Question number one, what does the name Zechariah mean? The name Zechariah mean. Question number two, what was the name of Zechariah's famous grandfather? See, I'm telling you, these are really easy tonight. Famous grandfather. Question three, how long were the Israelites captive in Babylon? How long were they captives in Babylon? Question number four, what are the two themes of the book of Zechariah? Two things the book's about. What are the two themes of the book? Question number five, how long had the work of rebuilding the, the uh, temple been stopped by the time Zechariah began to prophesy? They worked for a while, got discouraged, they stopped. How long had they stopped before God called Zechariah to prophesy? Question number six, how many visions did God give Zechariah? How many visions did he give them? Question seven, what are the names of the two men mentioned in Zechariah who returned back to Israel from Babylon to lead the captives? One led them spiritually, one led them civically, I guess you might say, in the rebuilding. The names of the two men. Question eight, in chapter seven, two men came to ask the Israelite leaders a question. What was the issue the two men wanted to discuss? We'll talk a little bit more about that in our, in our passage tonight. What issue did the two men want to discuss? Question number nine, where did the two men come from? What's the name of the town they came from? Ten miles north of Jerusalem. And then question number ten, what was the name of the Hebrew word that we talked about that is untranslatable into English, sometimes translated loving kindness or mercy or goodness, you go to Israel, you still hear the word. It's a very common word, even in modern Hebrew. Uh, that's a word they have for, for nonprofit organizations there now. But it's a word that's very significant in the Old Testament, but it, we cannot translate it into English. It's untranslatable. What is the name of the Hebrew word we talked about? 
All right, those are 10 easy questions. So let's see the answers. Question number one, what does the name Zechariah mean? God remembers or Yahweh remembers, absolutely. Question two, what was the name of Zechariah's famous grandfather? Ido, that's right, I-D-D-O, exactly right, Ido. Question three, how long were the Israelites captive in Babylon? Seventy years, very good. You're getting all of these. What are the two themes of the book? Question number four. Don't stop rebuilding the temple. Keep after it. And number two, Israel's greatest glory is ahead of it, not behind it. Better days are coming. Question number five. How long had the work of rebuilding been stopped by the time Zechariah began to prophesy? Eighteen years. Absolutely. Eighteen years. How many visions did God give Zechariah? Eight. That's right. Question seven. What are the names of the two men mentioned in Zechariah who returned to lead Israel? Joshua was the high priest and Zerubbabel, that's right, he was the builder or the civic leader. So one spiritual leader, one civic leader. Question number eight in chapter seven, two men came to ask the Israelite leaders a question. What was the issue the two men wanted to discuss? Fasting, absolutely, we'll talk more about that tonight. Question nine, where were the two men from? Bethel, that's right, house of God, 10 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And then number 10, what was the name of the Hebrew word, untranslatable in English? Hesed. That's exactly right. Hesed. You go to Israel today, you hear that word a lot. Very powerful word in the Hebrew language, untranslatable into English. Sometimes it's loving kindness, mercy, or goodness, but it's really more than all of it. We don't have an English word that, that, that captures what hesed is about. All right. So very good. Ten. Anybody get all ten? Well, we had some. Good. All right. Very good. Had all ten of them. Well, tonight, look at letter A on your outline. Let's give a summary because tonight is a little different. We've, we've been off for a couple of weeks, and we're going to transition to the second portion of the book next Wednesday night, uh, and it's different. The second half of the book, definitely different. In fact, if you just look at your Bible, you'll see that it's in paragraph form through chapter 8. Starting in chapter 9, it looks like it's maybe in poetic form. And there's a reason for that. You say, well, how do we know it's different? It was a time frame later than what was spoken in chapters 1 through 8. How do we know that? Well, Hebrew language is a little different. In English, we know exactly when things occur because you have past, present, and future tenses. They don't have those in general. They don't, they don't have those. So it's harder, more difficult to kind of pinpoint sometimes because they have time viewpoints, I guess you might say. So it reflects a time viewpoint later, much later. In fact, I believe it's talking about the end times. So Revelation is similar to chapters 9 through 14 of Zechariah. So starting next Wednesday night, I've called this book the Old Testament uh, Revelation, and you're going to starting to start to see next Wednesday how similar chapters 9 through 14 are to our study of Revelation, because it appears to be pointing to the millennial kingdom at the very end of the world. And so we'll start talking about that next uh, Wednesday night. So tonight, what we're going to do is we're going to wrap up the first section, which was very historical, uh, chapters 1 through 8. Now, chapter 1 through 8, the timing is immediately after the Israelites returned back to their homeland from Babylon. So we know that. They were captive in Babylon for 70 years, 
Persia took over. They allowed them to go back. And as you remember, not many Jews came back to try to rebuild the land of Israel. Uh, not many, relatively speaking. And most of them were older. The younger stayed. Those with young families stayed. Life would just be too hard to try to come back and rebuild. So that's the time frame they immediately got back. Some of the Israelites returned to the land under the leadership of Joshua the high priest and Zerubbabel the builder. It was hard. It was tough because the land is just desolate. It's barren. There's nothing there. There's no way to make a living. There's no houses to live in. Everything's burned. The Babylonians burned everything. So when you get back, you have the sacrificial system is in shambles. Temple's in shambles. The city of Jerusalem is in shambles. No homes, no crops. How do you make a living? How do you start rebuilding? And if you're older, it's even harder because the young people stayed back in Babylon. So it was really hard to rebuild, but they, they got at it and they started rebuilding. And you remember the first thing they rebuilt was the sacrificial system because they didn't feel like for all these 70 years their sins could be forgiven. We know that we pray and, and Jesus forgives our sins, but they had a sacrificial system set up that God gave to them as to how their sins are forgiven. So if there's no altar, if there's no temple, if there's no way to offer a sacrifice, how are your sins forgiven? So they felt like for 70 years their sins were not forgiven. So you get back, the very first thing you do, you rebuild those altars so you can bring a sacrifice so God can forgive your sins. By the way, there's no temple today, so what do Jews today believe about their sins and how their sins are forgiven? And in fact, we talked to a Jewish rabbi the last time we were there, and one of our group asked him that question, and he basically just said, well, we just do the best we can and hope that's enough. What a way to live. I mean, in Christ, we don't have to just do the best we can and hope it's enough because his righteousness is imputed to us. And so we're a blessed people, and not just, I hope my sins are forgiven. I'll try the best I can and hope they're forgiven. We know that in Christ that they are. So they came back, rebuild the altar so they could sacrifice once again. And then after that, they started rebuilding the temple back. Well, they built for a while and got discouraged because it was hard. They're running out of money. Uh, you don't have many resources. They planted a crop. That failed. It's extreme drought one of those years. You're trying to build houses to live in too. And finally, they just got so discouraged, we're done. They stopped rebuilding. The temple stopped rebuilding everything and just tried to make a living. So 18 years later, God spoke to Zechariah and said, I want you to go prophesy to my people to be a prophet. By the way, the word prophet, if you ask somebody just in general, what does prophecy mean? Oh, that's foretelling the future. It's really not. Uh, There are elements of foretelling the future in some prophecy, but the word prophet just literally means foreteller. It's preacher, somebody that foretells God's word boldly. And so basically he was a prophet from God, a message from God to his people. Well, God began this with eight visions as I mentioned chapters one through six of Zechariah are those eight visions vision one vision of the horsemen which comforted those people who returned that was vision number one I want to comfort those who who came back to try to rebuild vision two four horns and four craftsmen 
That's the vision where God is punishing the nations like Babylon who, who uh, enslaved Israel. So punish them for, even though he used them for his purposes, still brought punishment and judgment because they deserved it. Vision three, man with a measuring line. The glory of Jerusalem would return. Measure Jerusalem because the greater glory is going to be stronger than the first. So this city is going to teem once again with God's glory. Vision four, Joshua the high priest, encouraging him as their spiritual leader to keep going. Vision five, the golden lampstand, encouraging Zerubbabel, the civic leader, keep going. God's bringing encouragement. Vision six, the flying scroll, the word of God would seek out those who are breaking its commandments. Vision seven, the woman in a basket, which condemned the sins that Israel brought back with them to Jerusalem from Babylon, mainly materialism. And in vision eight, four chariots, God will execute judgment on those people who attacked Israel. So all eight visions are to encourage a people who had to be greatly discouraged. You come back, you've traveled 1,200 miles, you get back, there's nothing there. You're trying to rebuild your life. You're trying to do what God wants you to do. Very discouraged. And so all eight visions were trying to encourage a people who were greatly discouraged. So go to chapter 7. Eight visions take up the first six chapters. Chapter 7, God's people need to exhibit justice and mercy. They had begun to cheat each other, uh, mistreat one another, and God said, okay, time out. Let's don't get, go there again. That's the reason you went to captivity to begin with. So let's don't go there again. Just straighten up, treat people right, live right the way according to my word, and, and, and once again I will bless. Then chapter 8, that's where we pick up tonight, the glory of Jerusalem will return and the greater glory will be stronger than the first. In chapter 8, there are letter B on your outline. You'll see two messages of the coming peace and prosperity of Jerusalem. So chapter 8, two sermons by Zechariah. First sermons, verses 1 through 17. We looked at that two weeks ago. And the second sermon, verses 18 to 23. That's what we'll look at tonight. So fortunately for you, we're looking at the shorter of the two sermons tonight. So he had one long sermon and one short sermon. So, it's what we're going to look at tonight. Chapter 8, two sermons. Within these two sermons, there are ten minor sermons or subpoints, I guess you might say. But all of the, the both messages and all the subpoints promise the same thing. God is with you, and He is going to return the land of Israel power once again. Now remember, it's ravaged, it's barren, it's desolate, there's nothing there. And so God's promise is this land you're looking at that's barren and desolate and you don't think there's any hope for, God is going to revive, His glory is going to shine, and let me explain to you what it's going to look like. So that's the, that's the gist of the two sermons. First sermon, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. We looked at this two weeks ago, and if you remember, God told them in the first sermon that once again, this land is going to have my favor. Now, in the Bible, in biblical days, if God's favor is upon you, you're blessed. If God's favor is upon a city, 
if God's favor is going to land, you're blessed. And so he's telling them, no, my favor has been withdrawn, and that's why it looks as bad as it does, but I'm once again returning to that land, to Jerusalem, to Israel, and my favor is going to return, and the land once again is going to be filled with my glory. Think about this. If you're one of those Jews that came back from Babylon, and you're one of the ones that trying to rebuild as best you can, and you're one of the ones that got discouraged for 18 years and said, I'm done, and God comes along and tells you, look, this land will once again just beam with my glory, and peoples will flow to it to seek me. How encouraging would that be? That'd be greatly encouraging. So that was the first message the gist of it. And if you remember within that message, he said, I will again dwell there. I will live there again. The streets will be filled with old people and young people. Old people will be, will be playing in the streets. I mean, the young people will be playing in the streets and the old people will be gathering sticks and it'll be a bustling place again. And God will bring back Israelites from all over the world and once again fill the nation of Israel. When did that happen? 1948, still happening by the way, 1948, Israel became a nation again, but even today, whenever you go there, there are people groups, Ethiopia especially right now, people groups that are flowing back to Israel, the land of Israel, and living there once again. So, Zechariah is being fulfilled, chapter 8, even today, and you can see it when you go back there and visit. And then he told them in this first message, God will not deal with Israel as in the former days. I will do good to you once again. So that was the end of the first sermon. Now let's get to the second message tonight, verses 18 to 23. And we'll spend the rest of our time here and then we'll close. First of all, verse 18. And the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, this is Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth month, and the fast of the fifth, and the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah seasons of joy, and gladness, and cheerful feasts. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Let me just stop there for a moment. Now, Zechariah receives a message from God, the second sermon in chapter 8. And do you remember we talked about in chapter 7 that there were two men from Bethel, 10 miles north of Jerusalem, came to the Israelite leaders in Jerusalem and asked them, got a question for you, should we continue to keep the fasts that we've been observing for all these years, 70 years in Babylon, or not? And the reason we're asking is because the fasts Remember a more of a time that is sinful and, and a time that we didn't obey God, and it reminds us of bad times. And you're trying to rebuild the city again, and so are you looking to the future? So should we stop fasting? Because it just kind of brings back bad memories to us. Or should we continue fasting? So that was the question these two men came. And if you remember in chapter 7, God did not answer their question. So now he answers their question in chapter 8. Just a quick summary on the fasting. If you remember, 
Leviticus 16, 19 to 24, God told the Israelites on the Day of Atonement, one day a year, that's the day your sins are forgiven, you are to, quote, afflict your souls, end quote. What does that mean? How do you afflict your soul? Well, the Jewish rabbis took that to mean fasting. You deprive your soul of food, water, sleep, those things so you can focus on God more. So you deprive yourself. That is afflicting our souls. So God never commanded a fast. He just said afflict your souls. And the rabbis interpreted it as a fast. One a year. That's all. That's all God commanded. One a year. Fast forward. The Jews are taken out of their homeland. Babylon invades because of Israel's sinfulness. They go to Babylon in, as captives. Once they're there... They add four more fasts. God didn't tell them to. They just did it themselves. Four more. They added one in the ninth month, which was the day the siege against Jerusalem started by Babylon. That's a bad day. That's the day that Babylon invaded. That's a bad day. Let's fast on that day and remember how bad a day it was. They added a second fast on the, in the fifth month which commemorated the day the temple was destroyed. It's a bad day, dark day. The temple's gone. So let's fast on that day. Then they added a third fast, the seventh month. That commemorated the day their last governor was murdered. It was Gedaliah, by the, by the way. He was murdered on that day in the seventh month. So that was a dark day. They have no more leadership. Let's fast on that day. So they did. And then in the fourth month, they added a fourth fast. That was the day Jerusalem as a city fell. Not just the temple, the entire city crumbled. That was a dark day. So they added four more days of mourning because of what happened 70 years ago. So for 70 years, they observed five fasts a year. Day of Atonement, as God commanded. Ninth month, fifth month seventh month, and the fourth month. By the way, strict modern Jews today still observe these four fasts. They still do it. In fact, the uh, fifth month, the day that the temple was destroyed, that is considered the blackest of all days on the Jewish calendar. That is the darkest day of the entire year on the Jewish calendar. So they still observe these four fasts. They don't do the Day of Atonement. They do the four that they started in Babylon. God didn't command a one of them. So they asked, do we keep doing these? And here's God's response in verse 19. The fast on the fourth month and the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall be to the house of Judah, not mourning anymore, seasons of joy, gladness, and cheerful feasting. So God's answer was, I promise you blessings so wonderful, you won't want to fast. You won't want to remember those old bad times. And you will not, you'll, you're, you're transforming those, fa those fasts of mourning into feasts of celebration and joy and gladness. In fact, the word gladness there. In the Hebrew literally means gaiety. It means literally means jumping up and down. And so their fast no longer are to be 
sad. They're to have feasts. G. Campbell Morgan uh, said of this passage, quote, none of these fasts had been God's purpose for the Jews. They had resulted from their sins. So the fasts that were a remembrance of their sins, God was putting away. He was putting away the fast as a memory of their sins and made the joyful feasts due to his grace, end quote. So God is saying, no longer have that mourning, have joy. Now that brings us to a question. What about today? Should we fast? Well, is it a sign of mourning? Is it a, is something we should do? Should we fast? We go to the New Testament, and Jesus never says yay or nay. He addresses fasting because it's a practice they did. And he said, when you fast, don't be like the Pharisees. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago on Sunday morning in our Sermon on the Mount. So he's assuming that they would, but he didn't really make it a command. So today, there are people that I know that fast. There are people I know that, that don't. Um, and if it's something God leads you to, I think you do it for the purpose not of mourning over sin. Jesus has dealt with our, with our sins. So that would, that would be taking Zechariah out of context if we did, fasted over our sins. It, sometimes people fast today to try to draw closer to God or maybe they, they deprive themselves of something and they take a fast. Some take a fast from music. Some take a fast from foods. Just whatever that you determine is important. You're setting aside that day to hear from God, focus upon God. Oh, it's perfectly fine to do that. But it's not really anything that's commanded of us to have to do in order to. We're, we have direct access to the Father through Jesus Christ. And so there's nothing that we have to do to, to punish ourselves to get his attention more. So. You look at fasting today, I'm not, it necessarily hasn't ceased because the New Testament talks about it. But again, here he put a new spin on fasting. That fasting is not to be mourning of remembering your sins or a time of gloom. It's to be a time of joy and gladness and cheerful feasting. Notice the last verse of, the verse, last sentence of verse 19. Therefore, love, truth, and peace. Remember, the word truth means firmness, solid. And the word peace, shalom, means more than just peace. It means complete wholeness and wellness. So today in Israel, people, will, as you greet them or as you leave, they'll say shalom, shalom, which means wholeness and wellness to you in all capacities. And so he's telling them here now, love, love, firmness, truth, and the completeness that you feel, the, 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 the wholeness that you feel in your relationship with God. Go to verse 20. Thus says the Lord of hosts. Now, the, the last three verses here, very interesting. Thus says the Lord of hosts, peoples shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, Let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am going. Now stop there for a moment. What God is telling them, Jerusalem and Israel will one day 
be so glorious with God's presence that all the other nations and peoples will say, let's go to Israel, let's go to Jerusalem. There's something special about that place. There's something powerful about it because God's there. Let's go to Jerusalem, let's go to Israel, and let's entreat the Lord, let's pray to the Lord Jehovah, the God of Israel. In fact, the word Jehovah is used there. So, God's saying, look at the land. It's, de- it's barren, it's desolate, charred rocks and rubble, and you tried, to, you tried to rebuild it, but it's a mess, isn't it? But I want you to know something. As you look at that, I want you to know there will be a day. People will come from all over the world and seek this place because God's presence will be there. Is that the end times? Yeah, that's going to happen there. It's already happening right now. People come, we're, we go there to seek the Lord. It's a very uplifting trip for us. People come from all over the world. It's hard to get in anymore. The hotels are full. Jerusalem's full. People are going there because they feel a connection to God there. Those of you who've been, you felt it. You feel a connection there when you visit the land. And so the prophecy from Zechariah already starting. But in the millennial kingdom will be even stronger when Jerusalem will be the centerpiece of the world. Jerusalem will be. And so he's, he's given them a vision of the future. Peoples will come, inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one city will say to another, let's go, hurry, hurry at once. Let's go to entreat, pray the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. And they even try to encourage each other by saying, I'm going, you go, I'm going. You know, whenever you talk to somebody and they get excited about something, they go, oh, I'm going. That's what he's saying here. I'm going to go. Let's go. Go with me to Jerusalem. Verse 22. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. God promised a redemption so great that people would desire to come to Jerusalem, and Jerusalem would be the headquarters. And strong nations, it's not like nations are about to blow, you know, blow away. Strong nations are going to come. People so eager because they feel like they've got to get to Jerusalem. Not out of sense of obligation, but out of sense of wanting to be there. And he says Israel will literally be a blessing to the entire globe entire world. Let's stop for a moment. Go back to when God very first established Israel in the Old Testament. When was that? Call of Abraham, Genesis 12. In Genesis 12, 3, what promise did he make to Abraham? You'll be a great nation. I don't have any offspring, Lord. You'll be a great nation. Your seeds will your seed will be as numerous as the sand on the seashore. I don't have a male heir, Lord. How's this going to happen? You're going to be a great nation. Your seed will be great, and all the nations of the world will be blessed because of you. So here we have at the end times the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham all the way back in Genesis 12. The entire globe will be blessed. 
and want to get to Israel as quick as they can because they feel God's presence there. Jerusalem will not be seen as the seat of Judaism. It will be seen as the center of the world. Now look at verse 23. Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days, ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take hold of the robe of a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we have heard God is with you. Wow, that's powerful. So these people, think about it, nobody wants to be in Israel. The land's barren at this point. Nobody wants to be there. Nations are not, they're not flocking to come there. Nobody's flocking to come there. And he's saying, hang on, you keep rebuilding. Your best days are ahead of you. In fact, there's going to be a day when there will be ten men grabbing at your robe saying, please take me to your God. Because we've heard God's with you. And remember, they thought God had forgotten them in Babylon. They thought God had forgotten them. That's why the name Zechariah, God remembers. Because they thought he'd forgotten them. And now it comes full circle to where people are grabbing at Jews to say, I've got to go with you because God is with you. Why ten men? Well, ten men equals one Jew here in this passage. Ten represents completeness many, many times. Probably 15 different times in the Old Testament, the, the number 10 represents completeness. So I think it's a way of saying that, that there will be people out there, a lot of people, complete nations will be coming wanting to follow you to Israel. The same word grasp is interesting. They'll grab the robe of a Jew. The word literally means, the, the word uh, robe there is literally means skirt. It could be sleeve or it could be the tassel at the bottom of their robe. So some of your translations, some of your Bibles will say grab the sleeve of a Jew. And others will say grab the skirt of a Jew or the, 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 the robe of a Jew. So say it's the same concept. But what's interesting is the word grasp there or grab is the same word that's used in Exodus 4.4 4 when Moses grabbed the tail of a snake. And it's the same word in 1 Samuel 17.35 for the grabbing of the beard of a lion. So the image is you grab on and you hold so tightly you don't let go because if you let go you could be in trouble. And that's the picture. Grab and don't let go because all these nations will seek the knowledge of God and seek the presence of God and it will only be found in Israel. But people will seek it. During the millennial kingdom Israel will be viewed as the one to whom nations must turn to find God. Let us go with you. We've heard God's with you. When others see God in us, it's attractive. Even today, even today as believers in Jesus, you, you sitting here, you, those of you online, that if you're a strong believer and, and Christ is evident in you, people want that. Even today, there's something that attracts them to the Lord when they see people who sold out for Christ. When people see Christ in us, the hope of glory, they want to come to Jesus. 
John Calvin said it years ago as, as Christians. He said, may we ever be a holy place. May we ever be that place where Jesus is so evident in us. People want what we have. It'll happen in the end times to the Jews because they want God. But it's even happening here with us because people want what we have when we truly reveal Christ in our lives. So here's a summary. There will be a day of glorious promise for Israel when God will dwell in their land, when peace and prosperity will characterize the land. Dispersed Jews will return to the land of Israel. Fast will be turned into feasts. Mourning will be turned into dancing. And the glory of the Lord will be so evident and manifest in Israel, all the nations will be drawn to the God of Israel because His presence is so powerful. And with that sermon, Zechariah stopped. Now, if you're a Jew coming back, how encouraging must that be? Wow, that's got to be really encouraging to you. Makes you want to pick up a, a, a hammer and go back to work, doesn't it? And that's exactly what God wanted them to do. And sure enough, it's going to come to pass. Starting next week, chapter 9, now he starts talking about the end times and, and what God's going to do with Israel at the very end of our culmination of our world. 9 through 14, I think you'll find very interesting. I think you'll see a lot of parallels to Revelation. We'll start that next Wednesday night. All right, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to see me afterwards or send me emails. Always glad to hear from you. We'll pray and dismiss. God, I want to thank you for the kind of God that you are. You're the kind of God that takes people like Israel who messed up and gives them a hope, forgives their sins. And God once again brings glory and restoration and uses them again. And so, God, I'm thankful that you not only did that for Israel, but that you do that for us. Whenever we fail you, that there's forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There's a relationship with you that we can have only through Jesus Christ. But God, that relationship transforms everything about us. Thank you that your glory is in us. Thank you that the hope of Christ is within us. And I just pray that as people see the lives of First Baptist Church of Garland members, that God, they too would see Jesus and they too would want what we want. And they would seek the knowledge and the presence of God that reside in us through Christ. So Lord, may you do today in us what you're going to do in the future with Israel. That is bring glory to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. See you Sunday.